Hey everyone, welcome to the Work Friends Podcast, where we bring meaningful conversations to you. I'm Jen Brubaker, and I'm here with my co-host work and real friend Ainsley Stanley. This season on the podcast, we're chatting with missionaries from across our country who are part of the Youth Unlimited YFC family. We'll hear their stories, why they do what they do, and how they're furthering God's kingdom in Canada. So finish your Christmas shopping, buy one of Tim's books, do whatever you need to do, and enjoy today's episode. Today on the podcast, we are chatting with Tim Huff, who is the Compassion Series lead. He's an illustrator. He's a writer. He is someone who is filled with compassion and has some amazing stories to share, and we're so excited to learn from him today. So enjoy. Amazing. Well, Tim, welcome officially to the Work Friends podcast. It is a real gift and honor to have you join us here today. Thank you. It's an honor to be with you guys. We always like to start each episode um, with a few fun facts. So, okay. where did you grow up? I grew up in the West End of Toronto, which is called Weston, and uh, <clears throat> was a bit of a rough community back then when I was a kid, and it still kind of is a rough community now. It's in the news a fair bit for some rough stuff that goes on there. But it was a happy uh, place and we weren't very well off or anything like that. But I rode my bike everywhere and, you know, all kinds of people my age in their 50s. The stories we tell you about leaving first thing in the morning and not coming back until streetlights are on. Our parents have no clue what we're doing. That's what my life was like. Mm. (laughs) What is your ideal day? Man, my ideal day would generally have always, the answer would always have been playing with my band at a good gig, um, at a club or something like that, where we could play our music and play cover tunes that don't oppose our faith, but that kind of get people dancing and singing and stuff. And I am was a rock and roller since I was 16 and still am, so... That would have been it, but now I'm a new grandfather, like my grandson's two years old. So I got to think going to Disney World uh, with my daughter and her family, including my little grandson and my wife, that would be, I'm crazy excited for when that day comes. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a good day. A great day. If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would they be? Okay, because your question is about fun facts, I'm not going to make it serious. I'm not going to go all biblical on you or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, One would be, uh, man, I think it'd be cool to meet someone who is from my family, the Huff family like many generations ago you know like from the 1700s or something someone in in my lineage that we could say like what was like there and this and that so now if we go then uh my living person would be Mick Jagger lead singer for the Rolling Stones uh he doesn't do many interviews he's hard to reach you can always find the two Beatles that are left they'll interview and talk their heads off but He's quite elusive, and the Rolling Stones are the only band in the history of rock music that was could sell out concerts in the 1960s and still sell out concerts now. Think about that. Years. 
I know it sounds like an old man talking, but it really is a cool thing. Um, I, my third one would be uh, Walt Disney. I was an animation student, uh, cartoon guy. And, uh, you know, now when you see everything that Disney owns, I mean, they even now they own Marvel and, <laughs> and all kinds of empires now. Anyway, imagine being that pioneer and just doing your little doodles and not having any clue what was coming down the road. So those would be my three kind of fun people. Mm, I like it. Where's the best place you've been to? Okay, so my fun best place would be Hawaii. It's pretty awesome. Ooh, yes. Uh, it's really great. And it's as good as I thought it would be. You know, I built it up in my head how great it would be, and it turns out <laughs> it was actually that good. So that was really cool. But I also <laughs> been on the Sea of Galilee in a wooden boat. Wow. So that's kind of a cool thing to like perspective wise to think that that was mm. my reality. And uh, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's like very cool. Okay. I'm adding those two places officially. They're officially on my bucket list. They already, I think they already were, but you uh, sealed the yeah, deal good. for me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> If you weren't working at Youth Unlimited YFC, what would you be doing? Um, well, when I was a teenager, I thought I would be working. I'd have moved to California and worked for Disney or Warner Brothers because that was a goal. I was in an animation course right out of high school. And then um, before I started YFC, I might have thought I would. Uh, our band was playing pretty seriously at the time. And I... We were looking at giving that a crack of actually like touring in a pretty serious way. Uh, we weren't good enough, but anyway, you asked what I thought I would have been doing. <laughs> and uh, I love classic rock radio and I'd love to have been a radio DJ. I think that would have been cool. Mm. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, I bet you could, if you get your band together, mm. we'll chat with Tim Coles. Youth Unlimited YC can sponsor. It could be another ministry. Uh, oh <laughs> it can Listen, if you can open that door for me. Now, I know Tim pretty well, but I've sprung a lot of things on him. But I haven't gone for this one yet. But, you know, maybe if I tell him, like some of the young staff in their 20s have requested it, it won't seem so pathetic <laughs> as me going to it by myself and saying. <laughs> Tim Coles, if you're listening to this, you're hearing it now. <laughs> We're bringing the band back. That's right. You guys tell them that your age group oh. can't wait to hear classic rock sung at Youth for Christ events. There you go. Exactly. Oh, yes. 100%. <laughs> oh, well, aside from those fun facts, tell us about yourself and what life looks like for you right now. Um, I Well, during COVID, it's quite a little bit different than other times. Uh the ministry I came up in was mostly around homeless youth and street youth, and there's been many different names for that. But for the last few years, I run a program called the Compassion Series, and it's actually tailored more to children. Um, and it's about uh, teaching children, classrooms and families, so their parents too, about topics that are really difficult to talk to talk about. So about homelessness, about disabilities, um, fear and anxiety, things like that. 
But in the last year, I've been really focused on a new project. I'm just finishing the book that I, I write books and illustrate them. Uh, and they become springboards for the program I do. And this one is called The Jelly Bean Kid. But it's about how we support families that have children who are critically or chronically ill, um, which would include terminal illnesses. So it's a really tender book and a tender topic. So I've interviewed, interviewed's a wrong word for that. Um, I've had discussions uh, with just dozens and dozens of families, parents who are really struggling with their children in and out of hospitals and sick kids hospital and surgeries and all kinds of stuff like that. So in that process, it's become very pastoral, very much my role is as a comforter in those discussions, even as people feel cathartic in some way about expressing their insights and what we can put into this book and share with people. Uh, so the voice of their lives and of their child's life can be expressed in a way that can help other people. So it's been a trickier time than usual. I mean, I'm like everyone else. I do a lot of public speaking, so now that's turned into a lot of Zoom and a lot of online because normally I'd be traveling around, and, and now I do it this way. So so every day is a little bit different, but I actually get to draw sometimes in my job. I get to write a lot. I get to talk to many, many different people around the world. So it's pretty... Uh, it's pretty exciting in that regard and lots of freedoms to uh, do things I feel really compelled to be about. Oh, that's cool. It's neat to hear a little bit more about you because I've heard, uh, yeah, heard you speak a couple times. I also, I read Bent Hope a few years ago Did with you? a student here. We have, a, we have an alternative school program that yeah. runs out of our youth center and me and one of the students read that once. Um, so that was kind of my first introduction to you. So it's kind of neat to hear more into the what does life look like now and stuff like that, which is cool. And uh, we're going to take it back to start off our conversation uh, back a, a couple years ago. Um, and you mentioned a little bit about growing up in Weston, but just talk a little bit about like that. What was growing up like for you? I have two older brothers. I have great folks. My uh, folks would be... Uh undereducated to what they would want to be. Um, Dad didn't finish high school and mom um, would have loved to, I think, gone to post-secondary school, but they were raised in a small town, Wyerton, up on the Bruce Peninsula there, shy of Sable Beach, and were married young and had three young uh, children very early on, and there wasn't a lot of work there, and so they came to Toronto and dad got a lot of blue collar jobs. So we uh, kind of lived the children of kind of a, an old school blue collar lifestyle, um, which some of the community was a little rough around the edges. But, um, but my parents are lovely people who brought their three little boys to church every Sunday. So actually like, uh, you know, started in the cradle role and went to like, kids groups in the church and all those traditional things that, you know, when you see me later on on the streets and stuff like that, or playing in bars or something like that, you think, well, that doesn't seem like the right trajectory for you. But uh, my faith never waned in that. And my parents were awesome at um, 
modeling service like that worked a lot of hard jobs mom worked part-time jobs and stuff like that but they were very active in the church always serving other people never too tired they really modeled uh, that kind of care so I was really fortunate that way I think as I get older the more I become thankful of my own parent like what um your parents are obviously play they obviously play play a big role in who we become but for you to have that example and to see and to hear what you are doing now, that's really incredible. Um, for you, when did your faith become your own? Like, when did you you decide to follow Jesus? I don't think it's that different for uh, any generation that grows up as a child in the church. If they stick with it, it's hard to actually always, like, put your finger on the date of, like, I didn't have many friends that would have a conversion date, right? They're born again date or whatever they might choose to call it and for mine like I just never remember not believing but when did it become my own as opposed to uh, just a learned thing I think when I was around eight years old I really really understood and was receiving it as mine but I would say when I was 14 years old was when I kind of grade nine I would have really um, taken it to heart in a different way there was a famous, uh, famous wrong word, um, well-known bus accident that happened at my school in my grade nine year. I mean, people all over Ontario knew about it. And it was an outdoor education day. And it, it happened to be a bus that I was supposed to go on to a ski trip. And I decided to change my mind, got another bus to go somewhere else. And that bus was in a major accident and several people died. And several people were crippled for life. And I just couldn't believe that I wasn't on that bus. And there was something about needing to cling to God and know my assurances and stuff like that right after that bus accident. So that would have been a poignant moment in my life. I wouldn't say that I was didn't have Jesus in my heart before that, but it felt very different at that moment in time and moving forward. Yeah, interesting how, you know, you have these little moments of kind of developing, but just a moment where God kind of got your attention, if you will, through something that was hard. But, um, yeah, interesting. Um, We want to talk a little bit about just some of the roles you played, particularly a lot of the stuff that you've done um, has revolved around working with homelessness and being in that sphere of things. Um, Because you, you, did you start Light Patrol? I did. Yes. Yeah, so I knew I've known about Light Patrol just through some people that now work there, have worked there. Uh, and so I didn't know actually till we were having you on the show that you were the one that started that. So um, you got that and even thinking about, you know, the books you've read and some of the stories and perspectives that you shared. So uh, talk to us. How did you get into that world? Well, I uh, was running a, when I started at YFC, it wasn't called Youth Unlimited then. In 1987, I started a drop-in center that uh, still runs today, 34 years later, uh, in Weston, where I grew up. Uh, and so I was working there, and we had such clashes between the white kids and the black kids uh, in Weston at the time that we were really trying to be a, a center that was filled with peacemakers. And then uh, that was going uh, okay, I think. 
And then in the 90s, uh, early 90s, there was a big neo-Nazi scene that hit North America. So a lot of teenagers were shaving their heads and working out their way as hate mongers and stuff like that. And we would have skinheads come to the drop-in center I was running. And so these skinheads would get into it with any kids that weren't um, very white and very like them. So I started to uh, talk to them and talk to all the kids that were in there. Anyway, I would invite them to come back when it was just me there so things wouldn't be volatile. And uh, they started to ask me a lot of questions. And some of them were very indoctrinated at the time in Toronto, Los Angeles, uh, Montreal, and Vancouver, and New York. Uh, big movements. Even the music scene was dry. Uh, had a huge uh, neo-Nazi movement to it, which is how most of the skinheads fell into it, is through the music scene. And so a lot of these kids had come and meet with me. They would talk to me because... My past is very European, very white European. So they, I was good enough for them to talk to. They were looking for these loopholes in my um, family history for them. And uh, over time, I found that a lot of them were actually homeless. And they were just shaving their heads to fit in. They weren't even, many of them were the real haters. But some of them, the homeless kids were shaving their heads so they could could have a place to fit in. It was like joining a gang, so to speak. And so I started to follow them downtown, some of these neo-Nazi kids, only to find them starting to grow their hair out and taking all the leathers off and all the patches and stuff. And they had just been trying to survive in this diabolical, really dark, evil way. But while joining them downtown, I recognized all the hidden homeless young people that were down there sleeping in the I-beams uh, under the Gardner Expressway or we used to call it Troll Town under the Bathurst Bridge. There's all kinds of expressions down there. Tent City uh, that was down at Cherry Beach, that area. And so I went back to YFC and I said, uh, if I find another drop-in center director, and I did, I'd been doing that for eight years, I'd like to work with uh, homeless youth. And who can I talk to across Canada in YFC that's done this type of thing that can give me some insights and I was told that no one's working with homeless kids across Canada in YFC and there's no one to talk to and uh, part of that was anxious and part of that made me uh, excited to think oh I can try something new um, mm -hmm. some of that's you know your young my young rebellious spirit that goes okay then there's not going to be a lot of rules right like I mean I'm just, <laughs> And uh, and sure enough, nowadays you couldn't do what I did back then. Like Ben Hope is filled with <laughs> policy-breaking stories. So. <laughs> <laughs> Times have changed considerably in the last <laughs> 30 years. Uh, so, but I did that for four years before I started Light Patrol. I actually just went out every day with a backpack filled with socks and granola bars and first aid stuff went into the hidden creases of the city, uh, worked a lot between midnight and 4 a.m. when the dealers were out and the sex trafficking uh, predators were out and stuff. And so that was uh, a high risk but high learning time for me. And then I started Light Patrol out of that. I said, okay, what can we do where anyone can play a part in this and build trust with people on the street? So 
that's kind of the evolution of that. You, you couldn't have charted it. It's the way it just unraveled and God spared me and blessed me. And although I suffered from awful nightmares during those four years, because I saw so many really dark, dark things in crack houses and subcultures around the goth scene that was big then and things like that were pretty hard to take. So anyway, then some lovely people came along, wanted to help work with Light Patrol and and they've done great ministry ever since and still are. Mm. For those who do, who are listening and don't know what Light Patrol is, can you just quickly explain Oh, yeah. That? So Light Patrol is a street outreach, a mobile street outreach. Um, even though it might be recognized by the 30-foot mobile home and some health units, because now we have volunteer nurses that go out and do medical health as well. Mm. Um it's really about the relationship building. It's about an opportunity. Suppose you are a university student or a homemaker or a business executive, whoever. How do we get it so you can be part of relationship building on the street in a safe way? Not mm -hmm. the crazy stuff that I was doing on my own, but in a way that's safe. So the actual vehicle is a hub, like a mobile living room, so to speak. But it's not about just people coming in there and having soup and getting clothes and everything. It's way more deeper than that. It's about the relationship building and our staff actually going out and meeting with these young people, helping them get ID and medical help and and all the things that they would need to like move on to safe, healthy adulthoods. Mm. I know I said this to you before recording, but I just want to thank you. I think, like, Ainsley and I have been here for five and six years. We're 24. You've been in ministry for longer than we've been alive. <laughs> and I just think, uh, not to make you feel okay. old, age is such, I think we need to celebrate age. We really yeah, do. I have a 28-year-old daughter and 24-year-old son, so at least I'm in the pocket here. I know. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, but I just think hearing you talk about kind of, I mean, the things that were happening kind of at the beginning mm -hmm. of your ministry and how all of these things have stemmed from moments where you were doing things by yourself. Like, I thank you for what you do mm -hmm. because, um, number one, it's needed. But number two, the fact that what you do is inviting other people who have not experienced homelessness or have experienced food insecurity or any of those things for their eyes to be open to the reality that a lot of people are 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 living and creating community within that i just it makes me so excited um so thank you for being a voice for the voiceless and for cultivating these places for people to um for people to really belong like this is the work of the gospel mm -hmm. happening all over the place and um yeah i just I, <laughs> thank you yeah, i just get a little excited you, and that's really sweet that's really encouraging i i take that to heart thank mm -hmm. you yeah. As you, I know there's been a lot of things that you've been involved with. You've, um, yeah, written books, you've been directors of different ministries and whatnot. As you look back, what have been the greatest joys and challenges of ministry? Um, I did another podcast recently and they asked me a similar question. And one of them is that I've been able to stay in ministry and have a, uh, an arc to my ministry endeavors that has always remained the same. 
So I felt mm. called at a young age when I left the world of art and music and stuff to be about binding up the brokenhearted. And that's really been mm. the arc of, so now I'm working with families that have very sick children, but I've done all kinds of things in between homelessness and then, and they've all kind of been about that piece of the puzzle for me. Um, the part, another uh, part that I've really loved is uh, I've been in, you know, ministry since 1987, but I've never actually stepped into a role. I've only had roles that I've created. Mm-hmm. So uh, the entrepreneurial side of of being in a good YFC chapter, a good Youth Unlimited chapter, um, it's not just about like, oh, let them run free. Like you have to create a good plan and, and make sure the uh, chapter and the organization uh, feel it's wise and of God and has a, as purposeful. But I do feel very blessed. Like right now I'm doing the Compassion Series. So I brought that to this chapter and said, I think this would be a good plan and had it formulated to some extent. So that's an exciting part about being in our ministry. Like you guys are doing a podcast, right? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. when you signed up, it wasn't like, okay. And in four or five years, we're going to need you to do a podcast. Like you kind of like got this place where you said, you know, we have a good ministry idea that can be really meaningful. And this is a great Mm -hmm ministry opportunity you know or place to be where if you can create thoughtful creative things so i love the creative side of of the ministry we're 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 brother and sisters too now (laughs) right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's uh one of my favorite things about being at yfc is just the well that that element of creativity whether it's like creative ministry I mean you do some like drawing and things like that but just the abundance of opportunities to be able to serve where there's a need and I think it uh it it just it makes you not feel like you're put into a box because you're able to just serve with what's in front of you which has been yeah really really cool um I'm, I'm excited to talk a little bit more about some of your experiences within kind of the homeless and, and brokenhearted communities. Like that idea actually that you've, uh, it's, it gives me a, a good picture to think about when you talk about it as like a brokenhearted community. Mm. Um, it's a little bit more expanded. Mm. I like that mm-hmm. imagery. Um, and, you know, even just some of the things that you have said, I've like kind of already garnered some compassion for for different things and you understand a little bit more about uh what's going on and I think the idea of misconceptions is huge I think about some of the youth I work with and how people's yeah perceptions of them are sometimes very misconstrued um what would you say are the greatest misconceptions about homelessness and people maybe that aren't necessarily homeless but kind of within those spheres yeah well, you know, there's one of the struggles, like this kind of, this is a good, uh, the last question was about uh, joys and challenges. Well, one of the challenges is the misconceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, mix, misconceptions of my friends on the street, but even the misconceptions of what the street, the ministry is. So, for example, I've had people in the past tell me that when I feed and 
provide sleeping bags and stuff for homeless people that I'm an enabler. I'm enabling the problem, not helping the problem. So the idea that <laughs> I would want anything but people to be off the street is unthinkable to me. And somehow they're saying, well, if you help them stay warm and help them stay fed, they're not going to leave the street. They're just going to stay there. So that's, uh, you know, I don't know which, how they're interpreting the Bible to uh, think that feeding the hungry is not a good plan. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, uh, th those are <laughs> those are long discussions. And if you've read a little bit of Ben Hope, you know I I try to unpack all these ridiculous things in it. But I think one of them is I always get asked, or I used to at least when I was running a light patrol. Um, when you're asking about the street in particular, what are the greatest needs on the street? And people would want to talk about, is it clothing? Is it food? Is it medical care? Is it, uh, you know, now we're understanding better about mental health and addictions and stuff. But early on, people thought a little less wisely about what the real predicaments are. But I would say then what I would say now, like, if you were to say, what are the top three issues on the street? I would say they're the same top three issues that uh, every person listening is dealing with. So I'd say uh, trust issues and hope issues and dignity issues. I would say those are the three top issues on the street. And they're no less in my life or your life. Who do you trust and how can you trust them? When we talk about kids on the street, most of them are there because uh, a trust was broken with an adult and they felt they needed mm -hmm. to flee. Uh, flee. Uh, hope issues, I remember so many of the uh, young people and adults on the street that I was working with. When you and I talk about hope, right, we probably talk about like, what do you hope for your life? And you look over the arc of your life and say, man, when I'm 30, I'd like to be here. If I'm 20 years in ministry, I'd like to do this or that. But I was working with young people that literally couldn't hope past six o'clock at night. Gee, I hope there's food at the shelter. I hope I can find a place mm -hmm. to sleep where it's not wet. They weren't hoping over a lifetime. They're hoping in like such tiny bite-sized pieces. So I think hope is a real issue and a dignity issue across the board, man. It's at the core of everything. It's at the core of our truth and reconciliation conversations, at the core of Black Lives Matter conversations, it's at the core of um, sustainability conversations. There's a conversation about dignity that's part of all of these conversations. And you know what it's like when people have, if you've had those moments in your life, maybe they were in high school or something like that, when you didn't feel dignified for your opinion or your presence or whatever it was, in ministry, you know how it is when, when someone more popular in ministry is in the room and all of a sudden you're feeling kind of betrayed, but I'm trying to, and I spend as much effort as them. And, you know, mm -hmm. we, I know there's some ego to that, but I don't mean it as, as the harsh part of ego. I mean it as the part where how sweet is it when we dignify each other, um, mm -hmm. who the other people are. And our friends in the street, they are treated with so little dignity by so many people. So those would be my answers about the challenges or the misconceptions. The other one would be, uh, it's not rocket science, but people tend not to think of it. They'll say to like 
I don't. The people running Light Patrol are awesome, but the people at Young Street Mission or London uh, Services or anywhere else in Hamilton, they would get all the kind of same things. They would get questions like, "So what do we do? What's the answer?" As though there was one whitewashing answer to this. Like you know, we just get a brush and we paint the whole problem with this. But everyone's got a unique story. Everyone's out there for a different reason. Mm. Every kid in your drop-in center in Listowel is, is, has showed up for a different reason. They're not there because they're all between 14 and 16, and here's their issue. Everyone's so unique, right? They would all need to receive mm -hmm. something different and need your presence or your conversation to be uh, sensitive to, to, to their hearts and their longings. So we can't just say, you know, if we gave everyone this much clothes and this much feeding and this much attention, maybe it would be okay. Like if your mom or dad beat you from the age six to age 16 and then you fled to the street, you might need something way different than the other kid who's on the other side of the road, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah, heavy stuff. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. What would you say has been the, this wasn't on the script, but uh, curious, what's been the most surprising thing for you in those ministries? The uh, most surprising thing would be uh, how you think that you're going out to bless and take care of people like in some <laughs> godly biblical way, only to find out that you leave and they're no better off, but you feel blessed. Like, hopefully it's reciprocated. But, you know, even when, again, Ben Hope, the first book I wrote, which is the one that sold the best for some reason that triggered things in people. Uh, it's really about, a, it's a book about God working in spite of me, all the mistakes I made, but God still uh, showed up. And uh, I think one, I write a little bit about this in like different letters and different uh, conversations like I don't actually know what I think about angels on earth like that's a heavy theological topic and I've it's fun to think about and talk about and everything but I do suspect that if I've ever met an angel or several they've all been homeless mm. and that feels like a surprise to me <laughs> that that is how mm. blessed or moved I have been uh, while working on the streets. That's hmm. yeah, a hard, <laughs> it's a hard one to receive. And I, 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 I don't even know where to end that sentence. Right? Okay. Start to talking about Mick Jagger. Now we're talking about angels, like what kind of podcast. <laughs> it is good. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking about one thing that I'm really thankful for here. I mean, COVID has changed it a lot, mm. but um, we used to take students to, there's homelessness in, in Listowel. It's a little more, it looks a lot different than, um, than in Toronto or Hamilton or London, wherever. Um, but we used to take groups of students to Toronto. There's a, a program called tools where you learn about homelessness. Mm. Um, and there's, you have several hours to talk to people on the street and, and yeah, I, I'm just, as you're, as you're sharing these things, I just, I'm picturing these faces and these people that I've met and 
like have felt the exact same thing that you just described there where I feel like I didn't like I didn't do anything I mean like I bought them a breakfast sandwich and spent time with them and yet how moved they were and how they blessed me like the exchange was that you dignified them yeah and they blessed you mm-hmm. <laughs> very yeah human I see Jesus in them that, too you know Mm-hmm. Good for you. And yeah, about homelessness in Toronto. Yeah. Listen, who do you think's homeless in Toronto? People from everywhere else. Yeah. I always say, you know, Toronto's homeless issue is Canada's homeless issue. I knew more mm-hmm. kids from the Maritimes than I did from Southern Ontario for years. Because mm-hmm. if you were going to escape the the um, upsets of your home and community, you probably wouldn't end up on the streets where the very people who were in your life that you were escaping would pass by you. So I once mm-hmm. spoke in Orangeville, I remember years ago and uh, told them, Hey, I know where a dozen of your kids are. Like you've got to like take care of them here. So we don't see them in Toronto. And they were <laughs> shocked because they kept saying, Oh, Toronto's issue. Mm-hmm. And oh, Toronto's got this. And I said, trust me, these young people, they're not all kids from Toronto. They're from everywhere else. Mm-hmm. That's why even, like your ministry, I tell everyone in YFC, Youth Unlimited, you are at the prevention side of homelessness. Mm. What I was doing was the relief Mm -hmm. side. The prevention side is having kids have adults in their life they can trust uh, right where they are. That will stop the flow. Mm. So Mm -hmm. thank you for your stuff, for your work (laughs) around homelessness. Mm. And really, that's the way I feel. Mm. There's so many things rolling through my mind. I'm just sitting with it here. <laughs> yeah. Um, right now you are working um, with a compassion series. And yes. um, I listened to what a podcast that you were on previously, um, I think from earlier this year, and you were talking about, you kind of broke down what compassion is. And I would love mm-hmm. to hear, yeah, your definition of, of, of compassion and how you would encourage people to grow in compassion yeah, well, you know, if you take apart a word or you go back to the etymology, like where the word came from, and you look at the word compassion, and, uh, you know, in high school, when I was in high school, they taught Latin, believe it or not. And I think I was, my grade nine year was the last time they taught Latin in Ontario in any high school. So I learned just enough to care about where words came from because that's what the teacher was really in. Like, you don't got to know Latin because every word comes from here or old French <laughs> or whatever else. So anyway, the, uh, the word passion in compassion means to suffer or to endure. There used to be a movie that was controversial. It was called Passion of the Christ. And people misinterpreted the title, but it meant the suffering of the Christ, right? And then the com, so the prefix, that means together or with. So compassion means to suffer or endure with. So we have compassion. It means we are willing to suffer alongside someone or go through a challenge with someone. And that's what it is. That's the difference between feeling sympathetic. So, for example, if, if you had a friend there and they uh, fell and hurt themselves, um, to feel sympathetic, 
even empathetic, you would just like feel really bad for them. But to be compassionate would actually cause you to feel bad for them and get up and go and help them. Mm. There's a whole coming alongside portion of compassion that we can't miss. So when we give the compliment, always he or she is such a compassionate person. And when we say that because they cry at um, Hallmark movies, that is different. <laughs> that, that, that's someone who feels things deeply. But a compassionate person actually is someone who endeavors to actually get their hands dirty and get involved in some hardships. That's how we are compassionate to people. And for me, that kind of comes with on my social media. If ever you were to read me or to follow um, and say, okay, what's the one thing he keeps repeating? Like every couple of months it might go up or something like that when I just have time for a quick one-liner. And it would always be keep your hope givers close. That's what I write. Mm. Uh, we create a circle of hope givers, people that we trust to uh, be ambassadors for our best, our best interests, people we trust implicitly, some of us only have one or two of those people. Sadly, some people have none, but some of us have half a dozen of those people. And our goal in life is to become hope givers to one another. And so at the center of the word hope needs to be um, a confidence. So, you know, if we say, uh, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, that's just a wishful thought. But then we as Christians will literally a sentence later say, sing like our hope is in Christ. Well, we don't mean it the same way as we did, I hope it doesn't rain. All of a sudden, there's confidence at the center of that hope, right? Mm. So to become a hope giver means we provide confidence to the other person. We will show up. We will be there. So for you, your listeners, but for you two here, Ainsley and Jen, as you're, if I said to you now, I want you to think of who your hope givers are. Uh, I'm guessing, and I'm hopeful and prayerful, that like three, four, five people would come to mind and you'd go, they're my hope givers. When, mm -hmm. when I need to have my head kept above water, I don't second guess. I can count on them. I can trust them. And that's who we're meant to be, and that's part of being compassionate, is becoming a hope giver to other people. Someone who really stands and shows up and and puts confidence at the center of their hope, not wishful thinking. So that was kind of a babbly way to get there, but uh, I always tell people I'm much better in writing than in person. <laughs> well, I beg to differ. I thought that was great. So I was hooked. So I loved that. Great. Yeah. It's such a great visual and just a way to actually practice compassion like I love the way you break it down because I, I think people yeah they associate compassion with just a feeling but compassion mm -hmm. is actually mm -hmm. an action that we can take and a posture we can take to people yeah. and to situations and I, I really like that um, we wanted to give you a chance to share some resources so um, what are some of your favorite resources for people that want to grow in in compassion? Uh, give you a chance to plug, you know, some of your own stuff and your resources, um, as well as any others that you might have that you would recommend to people. 
Well, one of the newest ones has nothing to do with me. There's a First Nations version of the New Testament. Have you guys seen this yet? I heard about that. Yeah, you got to go find it. It's fascinating. Mm. For example, one of my favorite scriptures. So through it all, uh, Creator's God, and they call Jesus Creator Sets Free. That's Hmm. a term for Jesus through the whole the whole Bible. So it'll say creator sets free and in brackets. It says Jesus. So you have the context and know. And, you know, I was talking about binding up the brokenhearted. The uh, New Testament version, uh, the uh, First Nations version of the New Testament um, reads that same scripture this way. Uh, first of all, it calls Jesus sets free, reads from the scrolls of Isaiah. Isaiah is called in it, creator will help us. Everything's got these beautiful indigenous terminologies to it. Spirit of creators come to rest on me. He has chose me to tell the good story to the ones who are poor. He has set me to mend broken hearts. So that's the bind of the brokenhearted. Tell prisoners they've been set free. And here's the line that I love the best. So this is, even if you just go pick up this copy of this Bible so you can read this one scripture. To lift up the ones who have been pushed down. Mm-hmm. What a great ministry calling that is. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So inside of the truth and reconciliation conversations and stuff, there's this lovely translation of the Bible that is worth picking up. Um, so it's an easy Google. It's an easy find. It's out there. Mm-hmm. People are gobbling it up. You can see why that is an interpretation to lift up the ones who have been pushed down. Now, that is beautiful to me. Um, my stuff is at CompassionSeries.com, and then um, there's a whole books section that's you go on there. You can find our resource section. Uh, we're recording this at just before Christmas, like a month into Christmas, so I hopefully it gets long legs for you guys and people listen afterwards. But if people are looking for Christmas stuff, my Yuletide Factor book is an audio book. It's on iTunes. And it's got the most beautiful music. Mike Jansen, one of our jazz greats, plays piano between uh, my narrating of it. It's actually got a reflection guide in it. So uh, my, and Bent Hope is an audiobook too. I don't know if you knew that or not. An mm-hmm. audiobook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on iTunes as well. Anyway, all that is on our Compassion Series site, in particular on our resource section. It's easy to find. Those are some of my resource stuff. You know, I love the stuff that happens in YFC or Youth Unlimited across Canada. Um, uh, Life team stuff over that I own and Rob Snare are doing over with Vancouver um, Youth Unlimited mm-hmm. is profound to me. Um, that I've been friends with Iona since before I was at YFC. I, I started at a camp called Camp Cedarwood, which is a Youth for Christ camp when I was 21 because I'd been working at a mm. camp for deaf children and I wanted to go to a camp where music was a bigger part of the program. So I met Iona way back then, but wow. she's been so faithful in ministry and her ministry, mm. uh, the, the, the team's ministry resources there are awesome as well. Are you guys reading anything good right now or finding good sites? Something you want to share? You've asked me the question. I'm <laughs> <laughs> our own are resources you, are there certain sites or are there certain things your guys are way into right now that your listeners should know you can go first. <laughs> i was like oh i feel like i could share so many i've been driving a lot lately so i've been really listening to a ton oh. of podcasts lately so 
I've really enjoyed. Uh, one of my favorites right now is Theology in the Raw because they let anyone come on the show from different viewpoints and they talk about theology um, and the idea of just listening with love and showing kindness to others. And it's been really, uh, yeah, eye-opening in a way. So that's been a really great listen for me. Um, and yeah, I use Life Team stuff all the time. That has been, yeah, yeah. I show it to our volunteers regularly. <laughs> look at this stuff, look at this stuff, and I'm learning from it. And yeah, they have some amazing content. I don't know if you guys know who Mike Frost is. He's an Australian guy. So Youth for Christ folks that are uh, my vintage, they know who he is because we've had him speak a few times at national mm -hmm. conferences and regional conferences. He is well worth you listening to. Now, you might not agree with everything, but you'll agree with lots. But he challenges and stirs things up, and he's uh, he's a go-getter. He's not afraid to get into wrestling matches over things. Mm. He's not stuck on the letter of the law. He's very much spirit of the law, but his biblical knowledge is deep. And and so Mike Frost is a, is a great guy who's got a great podcast and is really intriguing and interesting and very current, relevant, and all those things, so. That would be another one. I would look. I would look for his stuff. Mm. Awesome. Oh. Hmm. Well, to wrap up our conversation, this has been lovely. I think we could chat for a couple of hours about like we've covered a <laughs> lot. A little bit of your personal story, ministry, homelessness, mm -hmm. like compassion, a lot of things. Um, but to wrap up our time here, what has been one of the best pieces of advice you've received? Okay, I'll give you a couple real quick. One is, especially in our ministry work, but you'd remember it wider, but if you're listening to people like yourselves who are on faith support or thinking about it and stuff like this, I learned early on, I don't remember who told me, but I just took it to heart. Uh, people's money always follows their heart, so never go after their money, always go after their heart. Mm. So if you're ever trying to raise money, you know, <laughs> Just That's dig good. deep in what will stir their heart mm -hmm. as opposed to like, my car needs a new muffler. Like, can you support me? Like, <laughs> I understand those emergency situations. But, but the idea that people's money follows their hearts is so true, eh? Like, if you want people long term, you have to stir them as opposed to getting a, a relief check or a guilt check or whatever else they might uh, donate with uh, online or whatever. Uh, but if you stir them and touch their lives, they will get involved. So I don't think it's just their money. Actually, I actually think it represents their time and their interest and their their wider investment. Um, and then I would say for me, uh, all the advice and experience I've had over my uh, lifetime and in particular my ministry time has evolved into the uh, Compassion Series motto. It's on... Uh, our website is on all my brochures and online stuff. It's bring hope, serve well, celebrate. This is the calling. I did a TEDx talk on this very thing. We're called to bring hope. We talked about hope and what that means. We're not called to serve. We're called to serve well. Nowhere in the Bible does it say just serve. It's always implied uh, that we are to serve at the best, give the best we can. Hmm. So when you volunteer for something as opposed to going, okay, I'll do it because no one else is doing, you know you're not going to serve well in that. 
when it's your my, moment to serve, like you are called to excellence, not to be perfect, but to give your best. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is to celebrate. I know that seems hard, especially when people are in crisis, but we need to always find someone or something to celebrate. It's the only way to survive this life in this world and whatever age and stage you're at, you find someone and something to celebrate. You know, we found that out in the pandemic, didn't we? Like all of a sudden we were celebrating healthcare workers like we never had. All of a sudden PSWs who we should have been taking care of for years. Now we're finally like realizing how priceless they are. So even in difficult, awful, hard times, there's always someone or something we can celebrate. So bring hope, serve well, celebrate. I think if, at the end of our lives, our epitaph said, oh, so-and-so, you know what they did well? They brought hope, they served well, they celebrated. You know they would have lived a good life mm-hmm. and uh, done right by God. The final mic <laughs> drop. That's really beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you sorry. guys are awesome. I love it. Your your listeners need to know that I can actually see your faces. That like you know, <laughs> we're doing this over the phone, I can see your facial expressions, which is so much nicer than when you just. I've done radio interviews a lot, mm. and a lot of them pre-pandemic, we weren't using this technology, and it was hard to see if the person on the other side like could even care less with what you were saying or what they were doing. <laughs> but you guys have been so engaged and so sweet, and. Uh, <laughs> And I love what you're doing, and I love the way you voice things. Your questions are so thoughtful. So bless you. Keep on. Keep on. It's so exciting to see and hear what you're doing. Wow. Mm. Thanks so much, Tim. Thank really you. appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to be with you. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We have more amazing conversations like this coming up that you won't want to miss. So make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Instagram and Facebook at just work friends and you can follow us there. So until next time. Bye. This is what I mix Straight up and around. Just me. bye. <laughs> have a great week. I hope it is more than adequate. <laughs>